Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Well, the NBA draft occurred last Thursday. No huge surprises in terms of the top players in the lottery. We discussed this on NCAA.com and, of course, all the Turner properties, notably NBA TV. Uh, the bigs went early. Some of the guards, like Colin Sexton and Trey Young, went in the lottery. Mikael Bridges, uh, Miles Bridges. I mean, it was all the names that we thought would go in the lottery. Maybe the biggest sort of unknown was where Michael Porter Jr. would go. He went and ended up going 14 of the Nuggets, in large part because of his back injury. But one underlying story that occurred were the players who went undrafted. Now, majority of them all certainly got their uh, contracts for Summer League. They're going to have to earn it the hard way. There's no guarantees in the second round anyway. But one of the big discussion points that will come out of the summer will be whether or not players who go undrafted should be allowed to return to college basketball. Should they retain their amateur status if they don't sign with an agent take money? Well, I'll tell you where I stand on this. And we're going to hear from UNLV's Marvin Menzies and Wake Forest's Danny Manning, who had players who declared, decided to leave school, didn't get drafted, and they're not coming back because that's the rule it is now. I'll tell you where I stand, and you'll hear my discussion with these coaches, that, look, there are consequences to your actions. When you decide to leave college basketball, you have to understand that you may lose your eligibility because of that decision. And I think sometimes you have to have a consequences. Um, if we want to go down the road of allowing these players to come back to college basketball, should the team have to hold that spot for them? That's another discussion point. We have to wait and see. You know, could they maybe come back to college basketball, but just not at that school if the school doesn't have a spot for them? Uh, these are all interesting points. But I, I think overall, the majority of players, I wouldn't say nine, I mean, I, I feel like well over 90% of the players who declare for the NBA draft want to stay being a professional. They have experience being a professional. Um, they do not want to go back to college because that's why they left. Uh, should they have that opportunity to maybe stay in college basketball? Sure, we can discuss that. As I said, I'm not against it. Maybe it becomes a more open market when they return. But I just think the majority of players are going to decide they don't want to go back to college basketball. They've already made their decision to leave. And so I think that's what you will ultimately see. Uh, even if this rule gets passed, I think it's going to affect so few people that would decide to go through the draft and return to play in college basketball. Very interesting discussion with Davidson's Bob McKillop. I'm going to tease it in saying it is unlike any other college basketball trip that a team has taken recently. This is educational. It is life-changing. And they're going to embark on it. And you're going to hear it here first from Bob McKillop about where they're going and why they're going there. And I think it'll be something that these Davidson players will certainly remember for the rest of their lives. And certainly a trip and something similar to that that other college basketball programs should follow. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, Davidson head coach Bob McKillop. And 
Bob, a couple topics that I want to get to with you. First, uh, the trip that you've got planned for Davidson. Uh, you have always been more than just a coach, but also an educator, a teacher. Um, let's go through the, the, the itinerary that you had plotted out for your group, especially with a trip to Auschwitz that uh, is usually not on you know, the schedule for most teams that go abroad. I mean, really remarkable that you would include that. Uh, what are you hoping that your guys can get out of an unbelievable experience like that? Well, Andy, even more remarkable than uh, including it, it's the only purpose of our trip. This is unrelated to basketball whatsoever since we went last year. So we're being uh, hosted by the Candles Holocaust Museum and Education Center and the uh, Maimonides Institute for Medicine, Ethics, and the Holocaust, which are two nonprofit organizations that are trying to uh, create a continuing awareness of what happened in the Holocaust and so that the, the next generation of people, the so-called millennials, do not forget. And uh, our players will be uh, interviewed, uh, videoed, and uh, there's a hope that uh, from this experience, our players will become leaders in that process of carrying that message forward of what uh, uh, we need to do in response to a uh, horrific experience like the Holocaust. So when you were putting this together, I mean, was this your idea? Did someone come to you or what were you hoping to achieve here? Well, I was very fortunate that uh, Amanda Caleb is a 2002 Davidson grad. Uh, she advises on the boards of these two organizations. Uh, she's a doctor outside of Philadelphia, and uh, she's a former student athlete at Davidson. And she felt that our players and our staff would uh, represent uh, in, in a way that uh, these organizations want their message represented. And so she's the one who initiated it, and uh, we welcomed it with open arms. And uh, we'll be going to uh, flying into Krakow on uh, the night of uh, June 30th, arriving July 1st, go to Auschwitz on July 2nd and 3rd, and then return home on July 4th. So uh, it, it'll be in a, in a quick but in an emotional experience. You know, so often I think, um, you know, this generation sort of gets sucked into just everything that's happening in the now and staying in the moment, which can be positive in one sense, but almost, as you mentioned, sort of forgetting the history. Um, you know, you are, uh, you know, you're a little bit older than me, but not, you know, terribly older. I mean, we're, we're not in the complete opposite generations. But, um, you know, what are your memories of growing up and hearing about World War II and the Holocaust that maybe this generation you know, has lost a bit because the the tragedy obviously is the survivors are just naturally dying off and and it's maybe not taught as much as it should be in schools. I mean, what have, what, do you, what are your memories from your childhood of what what you had heard about, uh, you know, the most horrific event in, in the 20th century? Well, since uh, I, I was born in 1950, I was, I was born in the immediacy of when it occurred. So it was uh, uh, very, very prominent news. Uh, I also grew up in Queens, New York. There was a significant uh, Jewish population in our neighborhood. Uh, my dad was an air city cop in one of the, in Far Rockaway, which was, uh, again, a heavily uh, Jewish neighborhood. So I, I came into contact with people who had been part of that experience and had family members who were part of that experience. So as a young kid growing up, I was aware of it. And became a history major in college, taught history in high school prior to coming to Davidson, and actually have been to Auschwitz and been to Jerusalem and the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, so it's something that uh, I have uh, had a great understanding and experience uh, with. 
When did you go to Auschwitz? Uh, I went there four years ago as part of a Davidson alumni trip and uh, spent a day there. And uh, an emotionally draining day, I must add. Uh, shocking. Uh, yeah, I've been a student of European history uh, in college and, of course, teaching it in high school. So I thought I was aware of it, but uh, you, you can never be aware of it by reading about it in books or watching in movies, uh, going there and, and walking that ground and uh, seeing those uh, uh, barracks and the guard towers and uh, the, the crematoriums, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it was uh, an eye-opening and emotionally uh, draining experience. What, what kind of reception did you get from your players and maybe their families when you said, you know, this is what I want to do? That was one of the exhilarating things about working at Davidson is that the players welcomed it with open arms. Our team has been on campus uh, for the month of June for workouts and summer camp, and they always look forward to spending July at home. Well, they're going to spend the first couple of days of July uh, going on this trip with us, and they welcomed it. And and this is not uh, uh, you know a luxury trip at all. It's uh, two days at Auschwitz and. Uh, there and back so it's uh, it, it'll be draining physically but draining even more so emotionally you know i mean it's amazing that you've taken this initiative and really wonderful to hear i mean how much do you think especially in this era where the narrative i think does need to change about the student athlete if you will um that there needs to be more of this not that everyone needs to go to you know, a concentration camp or Auschwitz or something like that, but the educational aspect, you know, because so often, sometimes even when they take the foreign trips, sometimes it's the practices and maybe we'll just do a couple games in Canada and just, or the Bahamas and that'll be that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but not adding the educational piece to it or even doing something like what you're doing, which is completely unrelated to basketball, but using basketball, you know, as, as sort of a, a mechanism to get to this trip for these athletes and for your staff. How much do you, would you like to see others do what you guys are doing? Well, a couple of thoughts about that, Andy. Number one, I see Michigan has uh, now taken a trip to France and credit Jim Harbaugh with uh, giving his players uh, some insight into history and uh, I think that's incredibly valuable. Uh, you say the need for the student-athlete to be uh, given a different identity is, is so apparent in our society, but I, I think there's also a need for the world to understand human dignity and respect. It seems to me that that's a, sort of uh, something lost in our world today. The, the lack of respect for human dignity uh, has just exploded, not just across our country, but across the world. And giving our players a chance to get some insight as to how devastating that process can be and how uh, destructive it can be. And, and we're going to have a firsthand account because uh, Eva Moses Kaur, who was one of the surviving Mengele twins, is actually going to give us the tour and going to accompany us on this trip. And uh, here's a, a young girl at the age of 10 with her twin sister Miriam uh, experimented upon by the, uh, the, the angel of death, uh, Dr. Joseph Mengele, and uh, she survived. And uh, she survived to, uh, to tell her story, and uh, I think it's a story that needs to be repeated over and over so that uh, generation upon generation can understand how much uh, there's a need for human respect and human dignity. Yeah, I'll tell you, I have so much great respect when I see coaches take that initiative to 
Um, you know, I just saw Jeff Capel went to the uh, Civil Rights Museum in D.C. Um, you mentioned Jim Harbaugh taking his team over. When you can try, you know, teams when they've gone to Atlanta or Memphis, you know, you can go to the Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles. You know, within the craziness of your day, even in the season, if you have an opportunity to take your players somewhere that will benefit them and ultimately society and teaching tolerance, which, you know, hopefully all of us can embrace, uh, then you're doing your job beyond the wins and losses. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, hopefully that you're going to help foster that, you know, within just your staff and in your players, uh, that ultimately your goal is for them to become better human beings, not just better basketball players. Clearly, they'll become uh, better human beings because of the ex- experience and uh, perhaps take on a, a role of service and leadership in the process of uh, getting this message out. And, you know, we are all coaches, uh, coach father, coach spouse, coach sibling, uh, coach teacher, coach businessman, uh, coach journalist. And we need to understand that in that process, we need to teach. And the more we teach, the more we affect lives, uh, I think the better our world will be. Uh, Bob, while I have you, if I can just take a little bit of a left turn uh, on the court, as I was looking at some of the top players coming back in college basketball, um, I've got Kellen Grady on that list. Uh, I think he will be one of the top 20 players coming back in college basketball. Uh, I know I don't have to convince you of that. I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, What have you seen in your short year plus with him that, uh, you know, you definitely are on the same page I am, that he's going to be one of the better players in college basketball? Well, he's a sponge for information. He he wants to be a great player, and he doesn't just want it. He wills it. Uh, His work ethic is extraordinary. Uh, His understanding about being a great teammate, and as you probably know, he emulates Steph and all the greatness that Steph Curry is, uh, Kellen has taken that to heart and studied it feverishly uh, from the standpoint of watching his interviews and seeing the way he warms up and uh, seeing the way he interacts with his teammates, uh, understanding the leadership role that Steph plays to Golden State Warriors. Uh, Kellen has really embraced that. He has said, uh, this is the guy that's the model for me and and I want to try to get as close to that model as I possibly can and uh, I think you are absolutely right he's destined for uh, being one of the top players coming back into college basketball next year and he certainly has me very excited because of uh, the, the character that he is as well as the talent as a basketball player that he has now adding to that I think you guys should be, and I've told this to Phil Martelli of St. Joe's, who's the the dean in terms of longevity in the A-10. I think you guys should be the team to beat uh, in the A-10. Uh, can you help me make my case a little bit? Because I, after what I saw at the end of the last season, I'm even though you lose Peyton Aldridge, I feel like you guys are going to be the team to beat in the league. Well, I, I think there are a lot of good teams in the league, and uh, I believe we have some pretty good players that are returning. Yes, we do lose Peyton Aldrich, and uh, the three front court players that play for us have all graduated, so uh, we'll miss that. Uh, and somehow we'll have to make up for that with younger players, and we may even go to a four or five guard offense. And scheduling wise, you've always been out of the box in terms of you know scheduling. You know, high-profile games that have helped you guys in terms of your resume profile. What do you have on tap for the non-conference? Uh, we're at Wake Forest. We're at North Carolina. We're in the Charleston Classic, which uh, I believe is a pretty well-stocked uh, tournament with uh, some 
some really outstanding programs. So uh, we do have an exciting schedule that awaits us next year. At the Nevada, that, that series is over? No, it's not. Uh, actually, uh, we were kind of hoping that they would uh, return this year. When we scheduled, it was out at uh, Reno this year and a year off and then back at Davidson. And uh, we were hoping that... Uh, uh, with, with the fact that they're going to be a top 10 team, they might say, hey, look, let's, uh, let's fast forward that and make the game this year instead of next. But uh, at this point, uh, they have not ex- uh, said they would like to do that. They want to wait till next year. And, Bob, before I let you go, um, you know, as we see Steph win another, uh, you know, another world title, I, I still think this generation doesn't fully grasp how much he had to work to get to where he is. When you had him on campus as a freshman to where he was – when he led you guys to the Elite Eight, uh, how would you put into sort of, you know, how would you characterize the work that he had to put in to even just get through those few years at Davidson before he even got into the NBA? He was an average-sized guard with uh, a uniform that barely fit him, uh, didn't shave. Uh, There's an article in yesterday's Charlotte Observer, an interview with Rex Chapman, who was a teammate of Dale Curry, and Rex used to babysit for staff, and uh, Rex commented that Dell asked him one day to come watch Steph play, and it was a JV game at Charlotte Christian. And Dell said, "Well, he doesn't play very much; he doesn't even start." Uh, <laughs> and you read that particular line that he didn't start as a JV player at Charlotte Christian, and understand where he is now, and it gives you a clear indication of the journey that he has taken to become one of the best players in uh, the history of the game. Well, Bob, I'm so thrilled that you're taking this trip. Uh, I will tell you, if you haven't been. The next on your agenda, at some point, you should take your team uh, to the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. Have you been? No, I've never been. That's one I've missed. Uh, I've heard it's an unbelievable museum. The thing that struck me more than anything is when you go upstairs, the lights are dimmed. No one speaks Mm -hmm. so that it it mimics what they had to do during the daylight hours because they were not allowed to speak and no lights could be on. Um, And it's incredibly powerful. So uh, I know that you're going to get, and you've obviously been there, but your players will have a a comparable feeling uh, going to Auschwitz. Uh, Really a remarkable trip that you're taking. uh, And, uh, you know, just appreciate everything that you're doing, Bob. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Wonderful to be with you. And coming up here on March Madness 365, Wake Forest head coach Danny Manning. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Wake Forest head coach Danny Manning. And Danny, a couple of topics I want to just sort of address with you. Obviously the draft, guys that weren't drafted, guys that were drafted, and then uh, the uh, USA basketball team that you were coaching with, Bill Self, and... Anthony Grant to a gold medal in Canada, and of course, Wake Forest for next season. So let's first deal with the draft. Um, You were one of the best big men coming out of college, uh, winning a national championship. Uh, We've sort of had a little bit of a rebirth of the big man, Uh, and at the top of the draft on Thursday night, certainly it was littered with bigs. What have you seen with sort of this rebirth of the bigs, you know, from college to the NBA as to, you know, giving some of the bigs some hope that uh, maybe they can be back in the game? Well, I think... This was a very unique draft in the sense of you've got big guys that are also skilled guys. Um, now, you don't have too many big guys that I would consider a plotter. Um, you know, all these guys are skilled, they're active, and they fit the modern NBA in terms of what they're looking for in big. They want bigs that can get out and catch a ball screen, even switch a ball screen, a ball screen, and run to the rim and um, get up above the rim and, and catch a lot to, of course, help. 
And, um, you know, all these guys, when you look at DeAndre Aiden and Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., all those guys have that skill set. And, um, you know, they're going to be really good fits for the style of play of what the NBA is currently. You know, there's so much chatter about, you know, the current draft rules. Nothing's going to change in the in the short, short term. I mean, if it does change, you're talking about at least uh, 20 or 21, maybe 22. You know, when I look at some of these freshmen, uh, and we just rattle off a bunch of them, whether it's Aiton, Bagley, Bamba, Jaron Jackson, you know, sort of a tweener big, you know, they still benefited from that year in college. Um, I don't know if every one of them leaves right away out of high school, but uh, what is the benefit that these guys got from at least spending one year in school uh, that they may not get if they went straight from high school to the G League or the NBA? Well, I think a lot of it um, is, you know, to be honest with Andy, a lot of it has to do with time management. You know, you step on a college campus, and, you know, you've got to navigate academics, you got your classes, you have your study hall, you have your practice time, you have your lifting time, you know, so navigating that type of schedule is something I think is very beneficial because when you get to that professional level, you're going to have an itinerary every day of what's going on and places you need to be and things of that nature. I also think it helps with the, uh, the level of play in terms of how hard you have to play. You know, a lot of these guys that come from the high school ranks to college, a lot of times they're the best player on the team. A lot of times they don't have to play as hard as uh, they can on every possession, and they can take some possessions off. And then that's natural. I get that. But, you know, going to college and, and, and having a coach dressed to you every possession is important is, is something that some of those high school kids don't get. Some of them do, but, but some of them don't get that. And I think that... Those two things really do a good job of helping them out and then understanding that it's competition. You know, when guys make decisions in college, it's, oh, I want to go here because I have a chance to play or here. It's, you know, you don't have too many guys that are going places knowing that, hey, I play this position and this, they've got a guy returning or he averaged this amount of points. I got to go in there and fight for a spot. A lot of guys aren't putting themselves in those types of situations. So understanding that when you get to that professional level, it's competition every day. You know, there were times I walk into the locker room as a professional, and there'd be a guy in there who I knew because the basketball community was small, trying out for the team that day, coming for my job. And so you got to be prepared for that day in and day out as well. So you had a couple guys that declared, and, and Brian Crawford and Darrell Moore, who were not selected among many others, who you know decided to declare and weren't selected. And there is chatter about, and this came out in the Rice Commission about whether or not players should be allowed to return to school after going through the draft undrafted as long as they didn't sign with an agent. I'll tell you, I'm kind of on the fence on this because I feel like sometimes, you know, they've already felt like they're a professional. They've sort of divorced themselves from the setting. Uh, it does put the school in a bit of a disadvantage if suddenly on July 1, you got to decide, to, you know, do you have a spot for this guy to come back? You know, where, where do you stand on this issue about whether or not it should be the right move to let that person come back if they've already made that decision or if they do come back, you know, are they just free to go wherever or do you have to hold that spot for them? Well, it never matters because the rules are the rules that they are right now. You know, you know when you declare, you give up your college eligibility and, and now you've embarked on your professional journey, your path, and now you got to go figure it out. And, you know, that's the unfortunate, serious side of making those decisions. And, um, it's unfortunate for a lot of kids, but they knew the deal going in. Well, that's right. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to sort of enter an adult world, if you will, 
there are consequences when you make a decision. They may be positive for you, and sometimes they may not work into your advantage. That when you make a decision, sometimes you have to live with whatever that decision that you ultimately, you know, that that you made. Oh, absolutely. And um, you know, that's that happens every year in every sport. Um, we're not, you know, the only sport that this is happening in. But you know, those guys now have to figure out a way. It's been done before. But it's a, it's a harder road, no question about it. So uh, before we get to your team, you were part of this gold medal team that won in Canada. Obviously, great young talent uh, on that roster, as there is coming up through the ranks. What did you learn maybe about yourself in coaching a team like that and also uh, about some of the players that we, we'll see on the college scene here shortly? Well, I know I enjoyed being back uh, working with Bill Self again and Anthony Grant. You know, those two guys are great guys, and uh you know, we had a, a team of young men that, that sacrificed one another, played hard, played together, and um, they were they were committed to winning the gold medal. They were committed to pushing each other and challenging each other in practice every day to get better. And um, you know, seeing that type of competition day in and day out in such a short period of time, the way those guys bonded, I, I thought was really impressive. You know, and I've talked to you know whether it's Coach K, Coach Beheim, when they were coaching at the national team level. You know, clearly Coach K using the zone more you know, was something you picked up from Coach Beheim. Is there anything that you've picked up, even in this short segment uh, with Bill Self, that I know you worked for him before, but in Anthony Grant, that you may apply to Wake Forest? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's some terminology, there's some deep, some technique deals that I uh, picked up from those guys, and uh, a, a couple ideas. You know, Anthony was with Oklahoma City Thunder for a while, so, you know, he, he was able to bounce some, some NBA um, things off of us as well as Coach Self is one of the best in the game. He's a Hall of Famer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely picked up some things that I'm going to implement in um, our system here at Wake Forest, and I'm very thankful and grateful for, for that opportunity and experience. So let's wrap up with your team. Uh, I was with you guys early in the season. You know, I, I thought that there was a lot of potential with that group. You weren't able to sort of clearly get over that hump. You had your moments. Uh, what's your anticipation next season's team as to, you know, its ability in this sort of retooling, I wouldn't say rebuilding, but retooling process of where this group could be, um, you know, sometime next season? Well, Andy, the, the group that we have, um, we're just we're going to be a bunch of guys. We, we bring a hard hat and we, we punch in every day and, and we lay it out on the line. That's going to be what we are. We've got some really talented players. Um, but then we're young. We have young freshmen that, you know, this is their first time in college. We have some sophomores that are young. And then we've got some newcomers um, that hopefully can give us some experience um, in that regard. But, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be a hard-hat team. And we've got to figure out ways to go out on the court and uh, make our opponents um, not be as successful as they want to be to give ourselves a chance to win. And, uh you know, from all the workouts that I've been at, which only been a couple because I just got basketball as a basketball, I like the energy level. I, I like the communication that our guys have. I like the effort that they're playing with. You know, we have to tighten up some things, technique and attention to detail-wise, but, you know, it's uh, once the season goes around, we'll have all those things squared away. And who specifically do you think really could take that summer leap? You know, there's always that one or two guys that really have improved on whatever that is, whether it's shooting, their quickness, something, their strength, over the course of the summer that you think can really be beneficial this summer? Well, they're three guys. You know, Sandy Brown started every game for us last year as a two-fresh, but at a small forward spot. We're looking for him to take a big jump. Olivier Saar came in last year, right at the beginning of school, did not have the benefit of summer school and that extra weight training. And, 
you know, he's up to about over 230 now. So, you know, we're really happy about that. And um, Brandon Jones is one of the oldest players on our team. And um, he's had a really good summer. And, um, you know, he's going to assume a lot of the leadership and, and burden in terms of running the team and putting guys in situations to be successful. But those three guys are three guys that just come to mind right away because they played some quality minutes for us throughout their career. But we're expecting all of our young players to have an impact as well. Danny, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care, Andy. Thanks, bud. And coming up here on March Madness 365, UNLV head coach Marvin Menzies. Join me here on March Madness 365, the marvelous one, Marvin Menzies, the head coach of UNLV. And we want to discuss a number of things with Marvin. Let's start with Brandon McCoy, who did not get selected. Big surprise on the NBA draft night on Thursday night. Um, yet, of course, he will find a home at some point professionally. Uh, let's deal with the big picture first, Marvin. Where do you stand on the issue of whether or not a player... If he were to go undrafted, and this is being discussed, we'll see if this goes into play sometime in the future, uh, would be able to go back to school, whether it's at the current school he left or be free to go to another school as long as he doesn't, you know, sign and take money from an agent uh, under the current structure. Well, you know, with that particular structure that we have in place now, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot to be desired. We've, we've, I could probably take up a whole show on the one topic, but... To, to give you a, a cliff note version of where my head is, I would say simply, you know, like, for example, in Brandon's case, uh, Brandon was ready to be a pro. And um, obviously we were supportive of that. Um, and he will be a pro. Now, unfortunately, because of the sex- sexiness of being drafted uh, and how valuable that, that appears to be, but you got to remember only the first round is guaranteed. Anything in that second round is not. So sometimes, and I know this may sound like I'm trying to, uh, make an excuse, but at the end of the day, when when you're not in that top, I'm gonna say 40, you're really kind of at the beck and call of the team that picks you up from 41 to 60. Whereas if you're an NBA guy, which Brandon is, and you have the opportunity to maybe select between two or three teams that really want you and are ready to invest in your development, and so forth, it, it's not all bad uh, to come in it. Uh, just outside of the 60, so to speak. It can always work out uh, at the end of the day. You know, the the book is still being written of Brandon McCoy's, you know, NBA career. So we don't know today, but I'm optimistic because the the kind of person he is that, that he'll, he'll lock on and endure. And and Brandon was ready to be a pro and he will be. See, I think that's a great point. I think the majority of guys, whether it's this year, you pick a year, that go through this process, they've already divorced themselves from college basketball and for whatever reason. And then they've experienced being a professional, if you will. And so now they go and draft, they deal with that disappointment. I'm not quite sure that any of them, maybe, you know, tiny percentage of them would say, okay, now I'm going to go back to being a college basketball player. So, you know, on one side, I'm like, do we need the rule? And if we do need the rule, do we need to make sure the school has to keep that spot open or if you can go back could you just go anywhere because it's kind of hard for the school to say okay almost till july 1st i gotta hold this spot for you where do you stand on whether or not we really need it 
whether they really would exercise it and whether there should be almost a little bit of freedom if you do want to come back and not hold that school to where you have to hold that spot till July. Yeah, I think it, you, it, it can get really convoluted. Uh, every time you have a rule change, you got to remember there's probably 20 dynamics that can affect the university and the young man positively or negatively that you have to think about as well. So it's, it's never going to be that cut and dry. Um, personally, I feel like uh, there, we're only talking about a minuscule amount of, of, of student athletes. So for me, it would be, Hey, if they're in that conversation and they want to go out of high school, let them go out of high school. If they start college and, um, they want to come back after putting their names in, I think there's some, some, uh, there should be some flexibility there. Not sure exactly what that would look like, but I mean, education is, is education and it's valuable. (laughs) So if we could, you know, still, still give that young man a chance to be educated and, and, uh, you know, under scholarship, that'd be great. But I don't know exactly what that paradigm would look like. But you agree with me that sometimes when they leave, they've left, maybe emotionally, mentally, you know, and they feel like they're a pro and and it would be hard for the majority of these guys, you know, to say, oh, now, you know, now I'm going to go back. Yeah, I think every, you know, obviously every situation is different. Uh, that that would be one scenario that you're discussing, and I think that would that would be the one that's probably most most common. I would agree with you. All right, so let's shift to your team. Um, you know, the Mountain West got two teams in: San Diego State beat Nevada. Uh, you know, I think they're going to be Nevada could be top ten. Uh, top five. Uh, San Diego State, you know, certainly could be right up there. I think New Mexico is going to be better. Uh, where do you guys fit in this group next season in the Mountain West? Well, you know, it's it's early to tell, obviously, but I, I, I do feel like we are we have some continuity from despite losing uh, our top two guards uh, scoring and in, in statistic, statistically as well as Brandon. So, I mean, we're taking a hit on paper. However, we do have some continuity uh, coming back. I do feel I'm optimistic about the young guys that we brought in and, and without going into the long uh, end of it, you, you know what we took over here, Andy. And so I, I'm, my paradigm is a little bit different. My, my model is, is going to be more a la, you know, Villanova in the sense we want to go into every season with juniors and seniors. And in order to do that, uh, we, we, we've got to build this thing the right way, the way that we're doing it right now. So how good are my freshmen going to be has a lot to do with, uh, where we're going to finish up in the, in the conference, how, how much, uh, production we're going to get from our retention guys like Mbake and Shakur and, uh, Amari and the guys that are returning, you know, Shekna, all those guys and that will determine whether we can compete with the upper echelon of conference or not. And how good do you think Nevada could be? Uh, they're fine at four good. I mean, they went to elite eight and got everybody back. It's, they, they are they are a phenomenal uh, team when it comes to talent. I think I think Eric does a great job coaching them up um, and really gets them to buy into what he's selling in reference to sharing the ball in minutes. And uh, you got a lot of a lot of talented guys at different levels. Uh, you look, there's more than one way to escape that. He's chosen to go with the transfers and uh, junior college kids, and, and, and that's his deal, and that's, you know, everybody's got a different deal. You know, Cal goes with the, the one and done and the best in the country, and and, uh, and ours is more, you know, I would like to hope that we would get to the point where Villanova is one day where we're, you know, a top 25 on a regular basis, and that's, our, that's the way we're building it. For those that aren't as well-versed, now that Nevada, you know, has become – a national type program over the last year and got a chance this year. What 
is that rivalry like and what can it become between Nevada and UNLV? We want to we want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward every year of those two games. I mean, that is uh, that is what we plan for. That is what we, we strategize for. Uh, there's no question that having Nevada uh, ranked and, and, and talented as they are is, is good for the rivalry. It's good for business. Competition is good for business. And I, and I feel like we'll, we'll be competitive again against them this year, even though they've got a great uh, core of guys coming back. You know, they, 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 they're loaded. Um, but, you know, we, I, you know, we beat what we beat them one out of the three games that we played last year. And we competed very, I thought very, very well with them outside of the, uh, outside of the first, first, the second game that we played. Them. And Marvin, before I let you go, uh, obviously UNLV has done a great job of being a national program for decades. Usually you can get great games because teams like to come to Vegas. So sometimes you can get home and homes or get teams like a Duke to come and play there. Uh, what did the Vegas Golden Knights and their run to the Stanley Cup Finals, what do you think that did for the city that you could maybe peel off to some degree that could potentially help a program like yours? The, the synergy, of, you know, especially uh, after, you know, the, the horrible tragedy that the city experienced, I feel like the the uh, the chemistry and the, the, the togetherness that was was uh, afforded to us, especially by the, the uh, success the Knights had, you know, we'd like to continue to build on that. And I, I think that, um, you know, when you have a team that's really successful, people think that it takes away from another team. And I don't think that's the case. I was at Louisville when they were top 10 in the country in both uh, football and, and basketball. And I, you know, I was born and raised in, uh, you know, Rams were successful a long time ago, but the Lakers were as well. And, and, you know, I just think that the teams that have those dynamic different sports uh competing at a high level is 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 also very very good for the for the city you cut out there you're born and raised in la correct right right i'm sorry i was saying that the yeah i was just saying that i've been in cities when you had multiple teams successful and it's just better for business all around right right, i'm gonna let you go on this uh scheduling wise what do you got for the non-conference well i think right now where we haven't released our schedule is uh, i know it's coming out in the next day or two but we've got We've got some marquee games at home and on the road that uh, I can't reveal, or I'll probably be, uh, you know, I'll probably be uh, punished when I get back home. So I'll, right, I'll just, tease, I'll just say, stay, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. <laughs> Film at eleven. <laughs> All right, marvelous. I always appreciate chatting with you. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, AK. You take care, brother. I'll talk to you soon. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can find our podcast on all NCAA.com platforms. Of course, get it at iTunes. Tell us what you think. Download it as much as possible. We want to hear from you. Uh, We're trying to deliver the sport of college basketball 365 days a year with a podcast every week to discuss what is happening in the sport. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.